I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Gita Harb, DMD. And we're going to be talking about from war-stricken Lebanon to entrepreneurship, a dentist's story of defiance and drive. Dr. Gita Harb is a DMD, as I said, in today's multicultural and fast-paced world, stories of resilience, adaptability, and and relentless pursuit of dreams are more relevant than ever. As the narrative unfolds around immigrants and their indomitable spirit, the tale of Dr. Gita Harb takes center stage. From a heart-stopping escape from war-ravaged Lebanon to mastering English on her own and subsequently sculpting a niche in U.S. cosmetic dentistry, Dr. Harb's life is not just awe-inspiring, it's a master class in resilience. Her journey symbolizes the power of ambition, adaptability, and the human spirit. She's a staunch advocate for women's empowerment, a dedicated mother, and a passionate entrepreneur. This stylist mama of two is not only rocking the latest fashion trend, she's also celebrated for performing smile makeovers and full mouth transformations on a daily basis. And she can be seen on the recent season of The Real Housewives of Orange County, helping young kids enjoy their first dental visit. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Harb. Thank you, Catherine. What an introduction. Well, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> well, you're the one who's done all I the work, it. and yeah, that's what we're going to talk about, <laughs> how you got here, and you have your, you're in private practice, it's your own practice, you, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you've had, you, I'm not going to say had, you are having an exciting career. So, um, what was it like for you to come here as an immigrant, I mean, as an immigrant and coming from, you know, coming from Lebanon, coming here, I'm assuming with uh, you know, I'm not going to say not just the shirt on your back, but um, what were the circumstances when you first arrived in the United States? I know you've said you always wanted to be a dentist since you were 15 years old. Right. So, you know, my circumstances when I came, and pretty much speaking of having only the shirt on you, but we pretty much left the country not knowing that we are actually immigrating to the States. Um, we left the country in a time where Lebanon was at its worst. We have never seen it that bad. And the plan really was just to go to Cyprus and spend a couple of weeks. So my dad had said, you know, let's just pack some bathing suits and just shorts and T-shirts and let's go to Cyprus. And so at that time, the airports were shut down, the ports were shut down, and you you weren't even allowed to leave. And so there were these ships that were coming at night and sort of taking passengers at 2 a.m. in the morning in the middle of darkness and um, going to Cyprus. And so that was sort of my journey when I left. We pretty much escaped just like that. It was 2 a.m. It was on a boat. We had packed some stuff just for two weeks to spend in Cyprus for summer. And when we got to Cyprus two weeks later, the situation got really bad in Lebanon. And my dad said, you know, we're just going to have to go to the United States to visit your brothers. And I had some siblings here that were graduated from college and they were working. And um, at the time, you know, we didn't think much about it. We just came here thinking we're just going to spend another week or two to visit. And so the plan was never to move here. Um, I had left Lebanon and not saying goodbye to anybody. I left, I was 14 
in the middle of middle school. So I never finished middle school back home, never said goodbye to my friends. And so when we got to the United States, I just thought, you know, we're just going to be here for about a week and we're going to pack our bags and we're just going to go back home. And things just got really, really bad. And at the time, my parents said, well, we have to go back. And, my, you know, my dad was involved in politics and he had businesses and things. Obviously, he couldn't leave all that. And so my mom said, well, I'm going back with your dad. And um, we had to stay. I had to stay with my other siblings and basically just live here. And so it was definitely a culture shock. Um, it was hard because, first of all, my first language is Arabic. My second is French. And I barely spoke English. And I had left Lebanon in the middle of middle school, so I never graduated middle school. And when I came here, my parents said, okay, well, we're going to have to find you a high school, put you in high school, and finish the four years of high school and eventually go to college here. And I said, okay. So when I did go to high school, they had tested me, and they said, well, she's beyond her years, and she's very advanced, and it would be a waste of her time to go to high school. She needs to be in college at this point. And for me, it was, you know, at the time, I didn't think much of it because, you know, we have we had grown up with so much, you know, war and so much things that we had to struggle with as a child. So to me, that was not even anything that I was worried about. You know, when you're wait, and I, I just have to get the time. Bombs. I want to get the timeline because you said you came here when you were 14. So they're tell was they're telling right. you that you're going to go to college when you're 14 or 15. Correct. Correct. Yes, I was almost 15. I hadn't turned 15 yet. And so my parents said, um, you know, when they tested me at the high school, they said, well, you're, you know, you're wasting your time because basically I had taken all these classes back home and I was advanced. And so they said, she needs to honestly be in college. So I didn't speak English at the time. And I said, well, how am I going to go to college? And I don't even speak English. I knew the basics. I had known, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Things like that. (laughs) So... Very, very basic. So my, um, the, so the high school said, you know what, here's what we could do. We could put her in high school with the graduating class for about four months so she can learn English because it was already halfway through the year at that time. And we can see how she does and she can just graduate with the graduating class. So I started, I did high school. I started, I believe it was January or February after Christmas. And I did the, the half of the year, the four months. And I graduated with the graduating senior class. So I was 15 when I graduated um, high school, barely 15. And at that time, you know, I didn't, again, I didn't think much of it. And then my, my parents said, okay, well, you're going to college. So they enrolled me in college. And at the time I had decided I wanted to be a dentist because I originally, I wanted to be a cardiologist and I had met this dentist on the East coast and he said, come in and observe in my office and shadow me. And so I did that and I fell in love with dentistry and I decided, you know, instead of being pre-medical, I'm going to be pre-med. I mean, I'm going to go to pre-dental. And I started college at 15 and I started pre-dental classes and I barely spoke English. And I remember walking to my classes to biology, chemistry, physics, and math and all these classes and carrying also the dictionary with me. 
And so on the what about, I'm going to stop you they, here because what about, I mean, you obviously you're really smart and, and you, all your academic right. achievements and you have all of those, but what about the social aspects of it? Here you are a 15 year old, maybe going on 16 and you have, I assume, girlfriends, boyfriends. I mean, where are the connections to all the, the you know, the emotional social stuff? Where'd you fit in? Or did you? Right. You know, I was very, I was very mature. I was very mature growing up. I always wanted to be older. And my mom would always laugh at me when people said, you know, you're 12. I'd be like, I'm 12 and a half. And she goes, you know, when you get older, you're going to want to be younger. And so I was always that kid that was very mature. I was very, very responsible. And, but at the time, you know, it wasn't easy. I have to say it was tough because, um, First of all, you know, I was 15 years old. Um, I came from a very strict family, so I was not allowed to date. I was not allowed to have a boyfriend. My parents were very strict. And so when I did go to the West Coast and I started college, I was living with my brothers. And my brothers were even more strict because my parents had left at the time. And they said, okay, well, you take care of her. Um, and I remember it, it was hard because all my friends that I had, were my brother's friends or my family friends. And I wasn't, you know, most of the time I was not allowed to do things on my own. I was not allowed to date until I was older. And so there was definitely a little bit of, you know, hard times. But, at the, you know, at the time I didn't think anything of it. I had grown up very in a very strict, you know, Catholic family. And so I just figured that's just the way it is, you know. Um, and I just, just went with it. Um, now that I look back at it, you know, I have a 14-year-old. Now that I look back at it and I think, would I put my 14-year-old in college at this point? Absolutely not. I don't think I would do that. But at the time when I was going through it, honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I was very mature. Um, and there were certain things that, you know, affected me maybe in certain ways. But I think having also a strict family and they were very much on top of me and, you know, watched every step I take and they were very protective also helped me a lot. I think if I was probably thrown in without having my brothers around me, I think it would, it would have been definitely a lot harder. So you don't see it that so there was too much that, of a, di- a downside to doing it just given, given who you were the, as, you know, given the support that you had and your brothers and the family, but also just, right. I think just you in, in general, just your own ability to adapt and be resilient and definitely, not every, I think yeah. if it was, mm-hmm, and I think it, that's what I'm saying. I think if it was, let's say my daughter right now, I wouldn't do it. Um, I think it was me and I, I was very strong headed. I was very strong minded and, um, mindset was always huge to me, even as a little girl, I remember being five and six. And I remember at that time, which I'm sure nobody ever thought that I remember being six and going, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a career woman. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to rely on anyone for anything. And that's always sort of always how I thought and how I saw the world. And I always was very independent. And my mom would always tell me from the day you were born, you were so independent. And I always was very responsible and dependent. But, you know, think of it as a normal, regular child. Would, would that be hard? Absolutely, because there is four years of difference. I mean, I was, you know, 15 walking around campus with 19 and 20-year-olds. And some were older, of course, you know, some were later in their 20s and some 30s. Um, So definitely, definitely it was hard, uh, but I made the most out of it. I, you know, I concentrated a lot on my studies. I concentrated a lot on my, you know, work. 
And I had a goal. I had a goal in mind. I said, you know, I want to be a dentist. I'm going to dental school. And that was my goal. And not once that I thought, I'm going to go party and I'm going to have fun and I'm not going to, I'm going to drink and I'm going to do this. None of those things came to my head. I was very focused child. Um, I did everything with intention. And so I think that's what really made it a successful story as a, I could have easily gone the other way around. I could have, although it doesn't sound like you could have easily gone the other way around because that's, doesn't sound like that's who you are. Right. I think one of the things that you've said, every challenge, and I'm just going to repeat this, from language barriers, which you've been talking yeah. about, to, to now we'll get into your professional hurdles, is really an opportunity in disguise. And I think when you look at it that mm-hmm. way, uh, I mean, that's the big plus. Not everybody looks at it that way. And so, Correct. yeah. And so, yeah. So get next, you're working towards going to dental school um, were there any major barriers to getting into dental school? I mean, uh, uh, for you in particular, uh, first of all, as a woman, and second of all, as coming here as a, as a, as an immigrant, uh, I don't know if there were still any language barriers, but, um, obviously you overcame all of it. So how did you do that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely there was a, a language barrier, you know, for sure it was much easier for other students that spoke English perfectly and fluently and that that grew up here to get better grades than me. And I had to really push to get better grades to obviously get a better GPA and get into the schools that I wanted to. So definitely the language barrier was, was tough, but I made sure, and I made very much sure of it, that I was going to lose my accent. I was going to speak English perfectly, that... And I never looked at anyone as, you know, I never looked at myself as a victim. And I think that's really a very, very important thing, you know, when you're trying to succeed. Um, I never looked at myself and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't speak the language, so I'm going to be behind or I'm not going to be able to get into dental school. Whatever challenge that I had, whether it was the language or whatever it was being a female, I always took that and I rose above it. And I made sure, and I love challenges. I, I always love challenges. I've never taken the easy way. I've always taken the hard route because I enjoy challenges. And I enjoy when I get to that point where I, I succeed and makes me happy and want more. Yes. And so definitely English and the language was a barrier, but I made sure that I was going to learn it and I was going to perfect it. I was going to lose my accent and I was going to do better than the students that were even growing up here. And so I just I really worked hard at it, and and you and not and you definitely became not just a, a not just a dentist. I don't mean just a dentist, but most people are right. content with being a dentist. You became a well, you've right. been described as a dental dynamo. You have, uh, you yes. are a yeah. I mean, you are on the cutting edge, a renowned cosmetic dentist. So that's a little different yes. than just being an ordinary it, dentist. Yeah. Um, Definitely. And I think I took that, you know, also through my career. And I think every step that I get to whatever I'm doing, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it could be bad. But um, I love whatever skill that I'm doing. I love perfecting it. And for me, dentistry is such an art. It's also helping people. It's also transforming lives. And so I wanted to perfect it and I wanted to take it beyond just the, what we call the fill and drill, right? So, you know, I don't want to just drill and fill a tooth. I wanted the entire aspect of it where I'm 
just you know having someone walk into my office and I'm completely transforming their lives. I'm helping them get that job. I'm helping them be able to you know get a date. I'm helping them you know be happier and more confident about themselves, which in turn will transform their lives. And I think that's the aspect of dentistry that I wanted to do more so than just sort of you know drill a cavity and fill it. So give us an example of one of your patients, maybe one of the most difficult situations with a patient who walked into your office and maybe your first reaction, not necessarily to them, but in mm-hmm. your mind is, oh my gosh, what am I, how am I going to transform this patient? This is really, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had, I've had a bunch of those cases, obviously, but I think the most recent one that I've had, that was very challenging for me was a patient that came to me. She actually found me on Instagram and she drives about two and a half to three hours and she came to see me and she has a, um, unfortunately an autoimmune, autoimmune disease, uh, scleroderma, but it's very severe where she basically loses complete, you know, collagen in her skin. She can't stretch her mouth at all. She's very, very limited on her mouth opening. Um, her teeth were just completely, you know, not in the right place. And she was very, very unhappy with her smile. And it was affecting her day-to-day life. You know, she, she, she goes, I'm embarrassed to smile. I, I you know, I, I don't feel like smiling even when I'm with my family. And she came to me and I just looked at her and I was like, this is probably going to be one of the most challenging cases that I'm going to have to do. But I took it on. I took it on because I felt that I have to give her that chance. And so it was, you know, what usually would take me about a four hour um, case. It took me eight hours. Number one, I could barely get my drill in her mouth because she was very, very extremely limited on opening her mouth. And imagine, you know, when you're drilling, you have to fit a drill and a retraction and your assistant has to put the suction and, you know, two suctions in there. So the patient has to open up really big. And especially when you're doing a full mouth reconstruction, I was drilling about 14 teeth just on top in one session. And so imagine drilling 14 teeth and trying to get to a back, back molar and you have, you know, you're barely getting your fingers in there or your drill in there. So that was really challenging. I, I think afterwards, I, you know, my back, my neck was hurting. I had the biggest headache. But, you know, I came out of that um, case. And I, with all the pain that I was going through physically, because imagine you're sitting there for eight hours and you're drilling, I just felt probably the most satisfaction I've ever felt. Because she was, she was so happy. She was crying. You know, my assistant, we were just very emotional because, you know, I, I had put on these temporaries for her. And she could not believe it. She was just, she was just shocked at the way it looked and how happy she was. And, you know, and I can tell you those eight hours of, of, you know, very painful having, and sometimes I had to get up and stand up and drill standing up and bending over for her, um, was just very, you know, satisfying. It brings, it brings me happiness more so than anything. And so, so you changed her life. You changed not cases. only her life probably, but you changed a lot of people's lives or the her family, the oh, people absolutely. who relate to her. It's not just one person's life that you change. Um, absolutely. That is, and yeah. then when she came back for her follow-up, she said, my husband is so happy. He can't stop looking at me. Um, we went out on date night and he kept on staring at my teeth and saying how beautiful they were. 
And she was just extremely, extremely happy. And of course, yeah, I'm not just changing her life. I'm also changing, you know, everyone's lives around her. I mean, when, you know, when you smile, it's contagious. And so when you're happy, your husband's going to be happy, right? And your kids and your family. And so, and um, so, yeah, it was, it was great. She's still coming to me. I still see her every three months. She's doing great. Um, and yeah, she's extremely, extremely happy. Uh, so let's l- take, I want to take a look at what your family, I mean, you're doing a whole, it sounds to me like you're doing like this whole huge balancing act. You manage this demanding practice, which we've been talking about, your mother. Correct. And, uh, and I'm assuming other things that you like to do as well. I mean, your other personal passions, whatever they happen to be. So how do you manage all of this? You know, I think for me, it's, it's really time management is everything. And for me, I was never happy sort of just sitting home and um, being a housewife. I wanted it all. I wanted the career. I wanted the kids. I wanted the family. I come from a big family and, you know, family values are very important to me. But at the same time, I wanted the career and I, I, you know, I wanted to be professional and successful. And so I always made sure my time I managed my time right. I always made sure that when I needed to be a mom, I'm fully a mom. When I'm in my office and I'm with my patients, I'm fully in doctor mode. And I think that's really the most important. I think when you're trying to juggle so much stuff, but really your head is all over the place, I think that's when you fail. And I think when you have to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, you're doing it fully. And I know a lot of people say, well, you can't do everything perfectly. You're, if you're going to be a great mom, then your, your career is going to suffer. Or if you're, if you're going to be a great doctor, then your kids are going to suffer. And I don't really believe that. I think you can, you can do both. I've had my practice ever since I was pregnant. I was building my practice when I was probably nine months pregnant with my daughter. She was my first child. And um, so I've always worked. You know, I, I had my daughter. And I had a C-section and the doctor said, well, you're going to have to take two months off. And I said, oh, hell no, we're going to, I'm going to take two weeks off and I'm going back to work. And I did, I took two weeks off and I went back to work without his permission. And I said, I'm, I I can't sit home. I'm going crazy. I went back, (laughs) but you know, having balancing it all is very important. I was, you know, I was always a career mom, but I never lacked anything in my kids' lives. I was the, the mom that always volunteered for every single to throw every single party for my kids. I was a mom that volunteered at art. I was a mom that volunteered at lunch. And so I would get up and I would, you know, work out in the morning before my kids got up. I, I get up at 445 because I don't want to take time away from my kids. And I said, well, if I want to look good, I need to work out. Well, well, what time do I have to work out? I don't have any time after, you know, 630 because then 630 a.m. I have to get the kids to school and work and come back and dinner and homework. So you know what? I started setting my alarm at 4.45. I wake up at 4.45. I get my workout done. It's me time. 6.30, then I'm fully with my kids. And So, so you are I always sure focused and in the moment, no matter what you're doing, as you said. Always. You're a mom, you're a mom, and you're a dentist. Yeah, and you always... A hundred percent. Which is key. hundred percent. Right. And I would schedule, you know, I would schedule uh, volunteering at my kids' school at my lunch hour, and so I would see my patients. So from nine to, to one, when I'm with my patients, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm fully, you know, in my patients, with my patients. I'm thinking about work. And then, you know, one o'clock hits and I would go to, you know, school and I would volunteer from one to two. And I'm fully a mom at that point. And then come back at two and do a full, 
you know, afternoon two to five with my patients. And then five o'clock, I would, you know, pick up my kids, go home and make dinner and be with them and homework and, you know, cuddling time. And so there was never anything that I had missed with my kids. And I don't regret going, I wish I was there at their Christmas, you know, uh, recital, or I wish I did this, or I wish I did that. I did it all. And you know, you, you can, and this is the message that I want to uh, relate to a lot of moms because I've met so many moms that are struggling in that aspect and they feel like they need to sit home and they have to be home all day long with the kids or, you know, even when the kids go to school, they feel like I can't work because I got to pick up my kids or I got to do this, but there's a way of doing it. And I think it all ultimately comes down to what makes you happy. And for me, and sitting home, what makes you happy? I'm going to leave it at that because we have just a couple minutes left. And what and, and as you uh, say, absolutely. you want to be and you are an inspiration to other moms. So give us a website or websites we can go to to be able to connect to you. Um, if, uh, you know, other other women, because you really, as I say, you are an inspiration to a lot of these young women. Thank so you. where can we uh Absolutely. Connect with you. So yeah. my Instagram, you can connect with me on Instagram at the real OC dentist. Um, I do put a lot of things out on Instagram as well. My website is also the real OC dentist.com. And um, I also have my podcast, which is called smile diaries. And that's all over. It's on all platforms on Spotify, on Apple, iHeart, Amazon, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And that's called smile diaries. So um, you can reach me on all of those uh, platforms, and um, yeah, great. It was great talking to you today. Uh, a smile, smiles diaries. Okay, we I have that, Doctor Gita Hart. Smile yep. diaries. Great, correct, Doctor yes. Gita Hart. Thanks diaries. so much for being. We really appreciate it for being here today. Thank you for having yeah. me. Such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> 